Hey, good morning, citizens. Would you please turn in your Bible to Titus chapter 1, and we're going to begin by looking at verse 5. A number of years ago, I read a autobiography by Phil Jackson called Eleven Rings. Phil Jackson was the coach for the Chicago Bulls in the 90s uh, with Michael Jordan and then with the uh, LA Lakers later on with Kobe Bryant and a whole bunch of stars. And in the book, he kind of uh, just tells the story of leading this these two teams, you know, six championships with the Bulls and five with the LA um, Lakers. And throughout the book, he talks about uh, his own leadership style. But then specifically, he talks about the dynamics of leadership on these teams and what it was like to lead these personalities and these superstars. Um, it was the most difficult thing, but it was also the most satisfying thing to see this group, these groups come together for a common purpose and ultimately winning championships like, like no other teams had done before and I think since even. Um, and this is the case when it comes to anything really to be successful, you need good leadership. You know, whether it's in the business world or whether it's in families or um, sports like we were just talking about, whatever you're involved in, um, a church, which is the context that we're looking at, it needs healthy, good leadership to move forward. And in Titus, we're talking about a church plant and church plants that are moving forward. And if you look in verse 5 here, we see, we get a little glimpse into uh, the background of the book itself. Verse 5 says this, This is why I left you, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Titus, he's saying, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the background to this book is that the Apostle Paul and Titus went to Crete and went around the island. You know, it's, you, can, you can look it up. You could still go visit the island today. It's kind of spread in with these little towns. And Paul and Titus evidently went around and planted churches. They preached the gospel and people came to faith. They became Christians and they started gathering together, probably in little house churches or maybe in churches that were in these towns. And then Paul had to leave. And now Titus is left there. And Paul says, okay, the, the job of establishing these churches is not finished. You need to do that now, Titus. And part of doing that is establishing elders. Now, when it comes to churches and when it comes to God's uh, vision for accomplishing his mission in the world, which currently is through the church, leadership matters, okay? Leadership matters in the church. It's really important. And depending on your tradition or your background, uh, your uh, church experience growing up, if you have any, which many of us as citizens right now do, um, you may have different views of this. You may uh, have experienced different expressions. But when we read the New Testament, we generally see two types of uh, specific identified leadership coming up. And that is the role of deacon and the role of elder. So deacons, deacons are men and women 
in the church who are specifically there to serve. They kind of function in three ways. I've kind of summarized it here. They do three things, okay? Deacons meet tangible needs. Deacons promote unity. And deacons support the elders in the vision of the church. All right? So deacons meet tangible needs. They promote unity. And they support the elders. H.B. Charles, who's a, an author and a preacher, put it this way. Deacons lead by serving and elders serve by leading. Okay, see the difference there? Deacons lead by serving and elders serve by leading. So sometimes there's confusion in, in different churches on like what's the difference between deacons and elders? Are they both leadership teams within the church and the elders just tend to kind of win out more often than the deacons? Or how does that work? Deacons are specifically there to serve in the church so that the church itself can can do the vision and accomplish the vision that the elders are setting forth as the primary leaders. So an example would be something like this. If the elders in a church suddenly said, okay, we want to take a trip to Toronto. Okay, we're going to hop in the car. We're going to go and take a trip to Toronto. The deacons would not come back and say, no, we're not going to go to Toronto. We're actually going to go to Waterloo. Okay, that's where we're going. Rather, the role of the deacons is to come to the elders and to say, you know what, actually, we don't think that the engine in the car is going to be strong enough to get you to Toronto. So we would encourage that you rethink this idea that you have, this vision that you have of taking a trip to Toronto. And then the elders can actually, they can take that information in, they can process it. They may actually end up saying, you know what, we really feel that God is going to lead us to go to Toronto. We're going to do it anyway. Or they might say, okay, how can we actually solve this problem that the deacons know about and are aware about and that will actually affect our uh, desire to accomplish this vision. All right. So an example of this that we actually see happening is not in the text that we're looking at today. It's specifically focusing on elders. But if we would look at Acts chapter 6, and we don't have time to read it all, but in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we get this interesting um, account of the early church. And it's going through some challenges. It has the leaders, which are the disciples themselves, who are preaching and they are praying. They're doing the work of like an elder in a church. But then at the same time, they are helping with the distribution of food for widows and those who are in need. And it's not going well. Some people are being forgotten. Uh, some, some people are getting passed over and it's not helping. And so what they do is they actually appoint certain people. They take people specifically that will be able to serve in the capacity. It doesn't call them deacons there, but essentially they're the forerunners of what deacons would be. And they are then able to um, help the elders to accomplish the mission of the church by doing the actual distribution of the food. So by doing this, these tangible things, remember I was saying that they actually help with tangible needs. They, they take that off of the plate of the elders so that the elders in that context can do two things. They can teach the doctrine of the word of God and they can pray for the people. That's really what they're going to be doing. So they take this tangible, behind the scenes kind of work off of the plate of the elders. Now listen, um, for deacons, that means that they really need to be secure in their identity in Christ. 
because they are, just like elders, but they are very much serving behind the scenes, doing things that maybe not everybody would see on a, you know, on a leadership level, but they're accomplishing these so that the mission of the church can move forward. And in the text there in Acts chapter 6, it actually helps us see that. So it says that they start doing that. So they select these people that are, I think there's uh, six or seven men that they select out to do this task. And it says this in verse 7. This is the result of having deacons and elders working together. Verse 7 says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So like the result is that these people serving in the role of deacon, playing this behind the scenes service role is actually producing like amazing fruit. There is like disciples being made and there's um, people who were priests are now becoming believers. You know, priests in the Jewish faith, presumably, um, they were Jewish believers now coming to God. So God is actually allowing the church to flourish because these deacons are serving. We don't right now at, at Citizens have um, identified deacons, but we do have a number of people that are serving basically in the role of deacon. I, you know, just to name a couple, I think of like Sharon, who's involved with leading the kids and kind of organizing anything related to kids on Sundays. Um, Think of like Jamie, who's been in charge of all the tech stuff behind the scenes. Um, Most people wouldn't even know that that's all happening, but just organizing and giving leadership. Those people are, are freeing up others so that the ministry of citizens can move forward by, by leading and serving in a role of basically like a deacon. And there's many others who are doing that as well. But they're specifically appointed to do a task to, to help lead in a certain way so that the church can move forward in its, in its mission. The other one that the scriptures talk about is elders, and that's really the focus of our text here this morning. It's elders in the church. And elders do these four things generally. If you look at the main texts that are given um, describing the work of elders in Titus and in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and in Acts 20, you'll see these four things kind of coming up. Elders lead. You know, they, they set direction for the church. Elders teach. So they are the regular um, the regular teaching of the word of God, week in and week out, is coming from the elders. They are kind of providing the food of the gospel for the, for the flock. Elders model. So they live out what a, a Christian is supposed to look like in everyday life. And elders pray. So they know the church. They deeply understand the needs of the church of men, women, kids, teenagers, everybody. And they can go before God and regularly and deeply pray for the church so that God would have his way. So they are marked by service. And and we as church members are marked by our submission to their leadership. Now listen, when you say the word submission nowadays, it kind of comes with some baggage. It's almost like a, a dirty, negative word. People don't really like that word. But the word of God, the Bible itself, tells us that submission is actually a good thing. But submission, listen really carefully here, and this is going to be developed here in the rest of the text, submission to godly leadership. When we submit 
we actually play the role of Christ. Christ himself set for us an example of submission. For Christ, it was submitting to the will of the Father. And even in that perfect relationship, Christ in his earthly body, it was hard for him to do that. If you know the story in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is like, isn't there another way? Like, is this how we have to do it? And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submits to the will of the Father. So submission is not always easy, but it's also not just something that is presumed, okay? So I think in the past, maybe some of you have had an experience like this. Um, some churches that I've heard of have, have kind of practiced leadership in this way. It's just kind of like assumed that submission was what's going to happen. You're going to submit. You're in this church. These are the leaders. No questions about it. Just kind of fall into line. This is how we do it. But listen carefully. Submission to godly leadership should always be freely given, never forcibly taken. Listen to that carefully. Submission to godly leadership should always be freely given, never forcibly taken. So elders exercise leadership in the church and members of the church freely submit to their leadership. But how does this actually turn out to be helpful and beneficial? How is this actually even possible to do? Well, the way that we know that it's possible, the only way that it's possible is through individuals whose lives are actually changed by the gospel. So we talk about being gospel-centered at Citizens, and that means that the work of Christ to, to save us, and to change our lives over the course of, of the years that God gives us is all a work of the gospel, working itself out day-to-day -day living, in our day-to-day -day living. And so it begins with the character of these leaders, okay? So character matters. Character matters a lot. Howie Hendricks wrote this, The greatest crisis in our world today is a crisis of leadership. And the greatest crisis in leadership is a crisis in character. No doubt many of us could think of individuals inside the church or outside of the church who were leaders whose character did deep damage to many people and has turned many away even from the idea of being a Christian or of being a leader in general. But the Word of God, when it comes to leaders, focuses and just drills down on the character of these individuals. Whether it's deacons or elders, in, in this context here we're looking at elders, but the character of individuals is so important. So look at this. Look at verse 6 where the Apostle Paul starts in to talk about what are the characteristics of these leaders. Verse 6 says this, If anyone is above report, reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or subordination. So Paul's starting point is this, that they are healthy at home. And specifically, he's addressing men. Now, why is he addressing men? If you do a quick read of the New Testament and you see the instructions and the description of elders, you'll see that it is pointing to godly men who are going to take that role of leadership. 
Now, I understand that this is definitely not popular in our Western world. We live in kind of this modern egalitarian world that says, you know, that men to, to have just men leading that does not fit with, you know, what we are um, designed to be as humans. And I cannot answer all the questions or tackle all the nuance of this argument because even within the church, Okay, within this broad spectrum of the church, on one side where you'll have all the way up to, you know, Christian feminism, and on the other side, all the way over to Christian patriarchy, all of them would say that they are under the umbrella and under the authority of the Word of God. So there's a lot of diversity and spread on this idea when it comes to leadership in the church. But let me just simply summarize some really uh, foundational points here that is, I think, the most important point, in my opinion, the most important point. And it's this, that, that God has called men and women to work in partnership as equal heirs of the grace of God. Okay, so at a baseline, when you see from the beginning, from Genesis 1, right to the end of Revelation, what God is calling us to is that men and women would work together to accomplish his purposes, right? God's purposes um, in, in fulfilling his mission and the vision for this planet, really. So we are called to work together to see that happen. Yet, in the midst of that context of together working, you know, for a future where it, there will not be a a male future. There's not going to be a female future. There's going to be men and women forever worshiping God. Yet within that context, God has actually made men and women different. And that difference is good. Now, a statement like that for most of history was not uh, controversial or radical. But honestly, in our society today, in much of the world, not all of the world, but much of the world, that statement is uh, controversial. Within that difference, within the difference of men and women, God has uniquely expressed it that elders, that men would actually function as elders within the church. And so we look at Titus, and we look at 1 Timothy, and we look in Acts, and we see that God has put this calling on men. In two ways it's kind of expressed. It's expressed in the home as fathers, and also in the church as elders. And so this is why Paul, when he begins here in describing the character of the elders of this church that, or the churches that Titus needs to establish, he begins by talking about their character at home. What are they like at home? So like Liz and my kids know more about me than probably the rest of you do. They know when I have good days. They know when I have bad days. They know when I sin towards them and when I serve them. They see the good and the bad. And Paul says here in Titus, that is our starting point. To see godly leaders, we need to see them in the home. First Timothy also says this when Paul is describing to Timothy in chapter 3 verses 4 and 5, he says this, an elder, when he's talking about an elder, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children's submission in submission. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's children? Now listen, this doesn't mean that the children of an elder are perfect and they have like half the New Testament memorized. 
Basically, what he's saying in 1 Timothy and here is that he knows how to serve and be a Christian in the context of his home. His kids and his wife are actually thriving under his leadership. They're flourishing. They're doing well. And, and they can see, and believers in the church can see, that this guy is a Christian in the home context and in the church context. It's real for him. So when we're under this leadership of an elder who has a healthy home, it's healthy at home, the, the church is actually glad to be under that kind of leadership because it's also flourishing. So elders are healthy at home, but also they are godly in character. Look at verse 7 and 8. Now, we're not going to look at it in, in detail, but it's full of all kinds of little character um, descriptions. So verse 7 says this, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So the first thing we see here is that an elder is an overseer. That's another word for elder, okay? You've got elder, overseer, and even pastor. They're all kind of linked together. But in this word, overseer, it literally means he's one who watches over or he's a superintendent. Another uh, description would be he's like a housekeeper or a custodian, okay? Here's what's key, though. Overseer means that they are not the owners, okay? Elders are not the owners. They're not like the, the owners of a company or something, and they just kind of like sit in this room. They are custodians, they are watching over, you know, the work that is happening. I've had multiple opportunities this year to literally sometimes sit back and just see God working through you, you know, through the things that you're doing as you serve each other Sunday mornings in the gathering or in missional families. I've just had this um, amazing opportunity to watch what God is doing around and to literally to guide or superintend the things that are happening around here. I'm not the owner of what's happening at Citizens. The elders at Woodside are not the owners of what's happening at Citizens. God is the one who's at work and we are just stewards. Another pastor put it this way, that elders are willing janitors. Elders are willing janitors. They willingly serve the church and steward over, oversee the things that are going on so that the church is flourishing and people are growing in their walk with Christ. So not only are they overseers, but we can see from this list here that elders uh, exemplify the Christian life. So they live out what it means to be a Christian. And that's why Healthy churches have a process actually to to find out if this person is going to be an elder, if this man is going to be an elder, what is he like? And I remember when when I was actually, uh, I was an elder for a couple years uh, at Woodside. And before I came to be an elder, they wanted to talk to people who knew me outside of the context of church. So they knew me at, um, you know, on Sunday mornings and they knew me in different places. But what they wanted to see was, okay, what is Darcy like at work or in town? So they talked to people where I was working. They also talked to people, you know, one of my references was someone that I played soccer with regularly. You know, what what was I like on the soccer field? To find out, is 
the life of this person, this candidate who, who's going to be an elder, is it actually godly through and through? Or is it only a, a thing that we're seeing on Sunday mornings and it's actually not a reality? So the character of the person is what deeply matters. And in some senses, you could say it is it supersedes the competency of the person. So definitely, we want competent elders who do their work well. As, as Christians in general, we're called to do our work well. But over and above that ability, the thing that is going to trump that is actually what are they like? What is their character? Are they like a Christian? We should be able to. If someone is coming to us and asking, what does it mean to be a Christian? We should be able to say, okay, you want to find out what it means to be a Christian? Follow this elder for the next 24 hours. Just shadow them. Go to work with them. Go to the grocery store with them. Join them as they, you know, interact with people in their neighborhood. Then you will see the picture of an elder. Not the picture of perfection. Let's make that clear. Jesus is the only one who is perfect. Not the pic picture of perfection. But the picture of a follower of Jesus. In the good and bad of a regular day. Responding to God's grace. And responding to um, individuals that are around them. So, healthy at home, godly in character, and then lastly, sound in doctrine. So, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, he must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So finally, elders are called to be Bible teachers, essentially. Now, that doesn't mean that every elder is going to you know, sit here, stand here, and give a sermon, but they should be able to explain the doctrines of the Word of God and defend the doctrines of the Word of God. Because in this context, and we don't have time to look at it all, but in verses 10 through 16, we see what was actually happening on the island of Crete was um, religious people, or, or just other people in general were, were sliding into these churches and were beginning to cause confusion and cause trouble. So much so that it says in verse 11 that they were upsetting whole families. So within the life of a church, um, there are times when people will come into the church either with, with poor motives or maybe over time their motives are shown to be poor. And what they really are after is their their own glory, or their own way within the church. Paul describes it this way in verse 16, that they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Okay, and that's part of being a church, is actually that we recognize that Satan and the evil powers of this world are desperate to shut down churches, desperate to cause disunity, division in churches. And so people will come in, they look like Christians, Paul says they talk like they're Christians. They would even call themselves Christians, but their lives do not show the fruit of Christians. And so for that, for that reason alone, elders are called to defend the truth. They're called to stand for right doctrine within the church. They're called to know what does God say believers should know and be and do. And when we see that lies or untruth is sliding in, the elders step in and defend right doctrine. So, healthy at home, 
godly in character, sound in doctrine. Listen, we're at a place as a church where we don't have official elders, we don't have official deacons, we're under the uh, eldership at Woodside, but we are to the point where we are beginning to uh, put forward our plans for how we can do exactly what Titus and Paul were doing here, put into place, put into order the things that need to be done. So we've been working uh, as missional family leaders on creating some clarity of vision for the next few years. And we're hoping, you know, in person or maybe on a virtual town hall um, in the month at the end of May to just explain a little bit more and to kind of give you an opportunity to understand the vision. But also when it comes to elders, uh, giving you a voice into that uh, process. Because part of the role of the, the local church is to say, this person is uh, qualified for eldership. Yes or no to the character of this person. Will they lead us well? Will, they, will their uh, character and their life actually model uh, the person of Christ to us as a congregation. So your voice and your input is extremely important. And we're really excited about moving on to that next stage in the life of our church. So let me end with this. In many ways, what leaders do in the church is clear a path for discipleship. They allow people within the church to flourish and to function as God has called them to be. I think back to my years growing up and uh, the church that I went to when I was a teenager, I think of Robert Weber. Yeah, he pronounced it Weber. Uh, Robert Weber, who just invested in me. He was actually an elder at our church and he played guitar and I played guitar and he invested in me as a, a guitar player in worship. I think of Leola Meager, who was my Sunday school teacher as a, in my teenage years and just poured the word of God into us, banged the drum of missions and just loved us as teenagers, just had a huge impact on my life. I think of Pete Wasiliu, who was the volunteer youth leader of our, our youth group, which was like six people or something. You know, Pete, Robert, Leola, all these, these men and women who were able to accomplish the vision and mission of the church because the leadership, the elders of that church, freed them up to be able to accomplish what God had put before them in terms of ministry which was ultimately to make disciples. And this is the, the fruit and the result of a healthy church with healthy leadership. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, explaining to us what leadership should look like in the church. And Lord, help us to understand it, to live it out, and Lord, ultimately to see it allow us as a church to grow and to flourish and to see um, men and women serving together, uh, ultimately seeing Jesus worshipped here in Elmira, in the towns around us, and someday in the, the majesty of your presence. We pray this in his name. Amen.